Good morning. This uh, intro may date me a little bit, so bear with me. Dead Poet Society, anybody remember that film? Oh, good, I'm in good company then, um, as I always am when I'm standing up here. Um, so Dead Poet Society is the story of a uh, somewhat controversial uh, teacher at a New England prep school for boys named John Keating in the film played by Robin Williams. There is a scene, a rather familiar uh, or memorable scene, uh, in the film where uh, Professor Dr. Keating is standing up there in front of his young charges, and he's trying to get them to, as he says, feel the poetry. Not just think about it, not just parse it and dissect it, but feel it, imbibe it, take, take it in. And so trying to make his point, he reads a line from Walt Whitman, and this is what he says. O oh, me of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, O oh, me, O oh, life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists, and identity, that the powerful play goes on, and that you may contribute a verse. So Keating then looks at his class and repeats that last line, that the powerful play goes on and that you may contribute a verse. And then his, he makes the, the, the point, he's driving in this direction and says, so what will your verse be? What will your verse be? Be great question, especially in that context with his young charges. I would argue it's a great question to ask in this context. What will our verse be? Will our verse be? Who has God called us to be and what has he called us to do? Uh, this is meant to be this Sunday, right now, the first in an installment in a series uh, as we walk through our new vision statement as a church. Uh, I trust that most, if not all of you, received a copy of it as you came in. Uh, if not, it is the, what we're going to be delving into uh, this morning is going to be on the screen. It was in the newsletter on Friday, and we're going to keep going with this over the, the coming weeks. Uh, this is something that our vision team yay, um, has been working long and hard on for months after a great deal of prayer and study and conversation and consternation presented this wonderful proposal to the session. The session has approved it, and now here we go. It is being laid before you. Here, here's where we are going, okay, as, as a church. So let me walk you through this in terms of uh, how, to, how to read the statement, how to understand it. If you guys in the AV booth can be helping me out here as we're moving through the slides. So it starts with a summary sentence, okay, a basic summary sentence that captures the entire thing, and it reads this way. Christ Presbyterian Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of all people. Okay, so that's what you can put on the mug. That's what you can put on the t-shirt, on the bumper sticker. I mean, that's your, you know, boiling it all down. That's it. That, that's the vision. Now, from that, you see a summary paragraph 
that then rolls that out, explaining a bit further what we mean. And in every one of those lines, you'll see there's something in bold. Now, I'll come to that here in just a second. But let me read this, this summary paragraph now. We are a covenant family being transformed to the likeness of Christ, rejoicing in and displaying His truth, goodness, and grace, growing in love, service, and relationship to God and our community for the glory of God and His kingdom present and eternal. Now, every, with every one of those embolded sections, those little words, phrases that you see as you're moving through those lines, there then is a breakout explaining what we mean by that, yet an, another paragraph. And that's where we're going to land on, that's where we're pressing on here this, this morning as the first, the first of the paragraphs, the first unpacking the first of the lines. We are a covenant family. So what does that mean? Okay, see where this is going? What does that mean to say that we are a covenant family? So next slide. A covenant is a sealed promise of God to his people throughout scripture with accompanying promises. As a body of believers in Christ's complete work, we are adopted heirs to the promises God has given his people. We solemnly covenant to build Christ's kingdom together. This cannot happen without continual sacrificial prayerful and intentional time together. Then that is unpacked with a series of, of, I guess you could say, some practical bullet points, fleshing that out even further, getting it down on the ground, okay? So if you bear with me, I want to read those to you, all right? There's going to be, I think, a couple of screens here. We will remember all that God has done, is doing, and will continue to do. We will meet together in our homes and share meals together. We will pray for one another. We will sit down together in grief and celebrate together in triumph. We will reconcile all our relationships because God has reconciled us. We will show up and be Christ's body on earth as he has called us to do. We will live generously and give to one another of our time, talents, resources, and experience. We will worship together. That's our vision. That's part of it. That section pertaining to our vision, where we believe God is leading us in the coming weeks, months, years. So here's the question. How do you see that in the Bible? How do you ground this in the Scriptures? How do you see that? In what ways does that come out? That's where we're going to go here in the next few minutes, okay? Unpacking that to, to establish a, something of a foundation there. So if you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn with me now to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, it's on the screen there. Uh, if you're trying to find that, that's in the New Testament, uh, and that's after the Gospels, and after Acts, and after uh, Romans, and uh, if you're trying to find Hebrews, an easy way to find it is it comes after a bunch of books that start with the letter T. Thessalonians, and Timothy, and Titus, and you have a P, you've got Philemon, and then Hebrews, James, James is good, but Hebrews, Hebrews is where we are. Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hear now God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the day, all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Well, can we stop and pray for a moment? Jesus, we thank you for, for being here. We, we just want to start there. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of being here, of the opportunity to begin this week this way, uh, here in the morning of the first day of the week, here on, on what we know from the beginning of the earliest days of the church, what was called the Lord's Day. Uh, we thank you, and may this day, all that we do here, set the tone not just for the rest of this day, but for the rest of this week. Uh, may it be, um, may, may our time here help us to make sense of what happened last week and to prepare ourselves for what is coming in the days ahead. Uh, we thank you for uh, the good, faithful work, uh, the sacrifices of the folks that have served so well on this vision team, and we pray for their ongoing work as they guide us in these steps ahead. Thank you for uh, the clarity that they have presented here in this, this statement, and for this one clause this one clause here that we're going to be delving into, would you help us to together grapple with it, uh, to, to consider what its implications would be for, for us as, as individuals, for us as a, as a body as a whole, for us as within the context of a larger community here within um, Montgomery County, Clarksville, and beyond. Um, oh, would you help us? Jesus, would you give us your ears would you help us to understand at a head and heart level what the author of Hebrews is, is saying here? Connect it to where we are right now. Where, where we need comfort and increasing confidence of a path we're already on, then may it be. Where we need correction, where we need conviction, where need, we need to be uh, the smelling salts applied to our hearts, would you bring that as, as well? Amen. So let me throw this, this idea out at you. So here, here's the statement, this kind of principle. A new, uh, the, the, the church, the church, a, a local body of believers is a new, has a new dynamic that creates distinctive characteristics. A local body, a local church, a group of followers of Jesus, disciples, has a new dynamic that creates distinctive characteristics. Now, let me unpack that if I can. New dynamic. What, what, what is that? Um, some of you may have heard in the news about um, some successful experiments done regarding a fusion reaction, right, and all the incredible po possibilities and potential that has for energy. So that's a new source of energy. So think about like that. If, if you put a fusion reactor in your car, that's a big deal. In, in, ter in terms of the possibilities. Or, you know, take out the gas furnace in your house and now you've got, or the heat pump, and now you've got, whoa, a fusion reactor. The, the, the possibilities of what's going to come out of that are, are, are significant, to say the least. And this new dynamic that's this, within every local church, think of it in terms of like new fuel 
a new core, um, a, a new source of, 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 of energy that's, that's, that's there, that wasn't there before, that is there now because of the work of Jesus and the presence of his spirit. There's something there that wasn't there before because of Jesus, and there's something there distinct from every other assembly and group in the community that's setting this group, any local church, apart because of this new dynamic that then creates these distinctive characteristics. Do you see that in Hebrews 10? How? How? Yes, you do. In the first couple of verses, you see a startling fusion reaction, you could say, a new dynamic, new core, new, new everything, something significant, something extraordinary that the author is saying. He, he, he starts building in verses 19 through 21, moving in the, so it's, it's a therefore because of this, now, now these then are the marks, these are the implications, but what are, what's the therefore? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, uh, with our hearts sprinkled clean and from an evil conscience uh, and our bodies washed with pure water. So, I mean, I, I got ahead of myself. There it is, but just verses 19 through 20 speak of this assurance, this confidence that we have to come near, to be in the presence of God because of the finished work of the Son of God this confidence that we have in relationship with him. Now, think of how startling that is of a local church within the context of a local community and what that sets them apart from every, every other grouping in the community. That, that they would have, that we would have confidence to come into the presence of God. Right? Now, maybe you take that for granted. Like, you're, you're, so, you're so churchy, you're not hearing the extraordinary seismic shake of that. The confidence that we have to come because into the presence of God, because of the finished work of the Son of God, and then this, this other uh, therefore that the author of Hebrews is speaking of here, this, this new way through the curtain, and then this great priest who not only has done it and accomplished it, but ushers us, invites us to come and stand with him in the presence of the living God. Oh, these are extraordinary things. This is this new dynamic. This is the fusion reaction. This is the, the, the new fuel, the thing that sets us apart. And so then he, he, the, the author says, okay, now based on that, based on that, there are these implications. There are these marks. There are these things like, like heat, right? That's going to come out like energy. It's going to come out of that reaction. It can't help itself is what he's saying in verses uh, 21, 23, 24, 25. So verse 22, he says, so in faith, because of this, we will draw near, because this is true of us. In faith, we will draw near. Verse 23, in hope, we will hold fast. In verses 24 and 25, he says, in love, we will consider things, significant things regarding one another. And it's that third one in particular we're going to press into here this morning, this third uh, characteristic of this 
astonishing dynamic that is already true of us. So verses 24, 25. And let us consider. So not just let us draw near, verse 22, not just let us hold fast, but verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. That's the third of the three things that the author of Hebrews is saying is a sign, is an indication, is a, is a fruit, is a mark of this fusion reaction, this new reality that is true of us because of Jesus. We are to consider, consider some things regarding one another. What? What does that mean? Well, the, the, the word that he uses there to consider, when you break it down, you look at the Greek, you look at other, other English translations, you can see it. You can see it. It means to notice something. It means to look intently into something, right? To consider. It, it, it means to ponder it. It means to reflect deeply upon it. It's what you do when you have a problem to figure out or an obstacle to overcome or an issue to work through. Consider. That's the idea. Okay? It's not just this, it's press into it, consider. Because of this new dynamic, there are these distinctive characteristics, one of which is to consider some things regarding one another. What would that be? How would it come about? What does it look like? What shape does it take? Put another way, what goal are we to be striving after regarding this? And what are the means towards that goal? Okay? What's the goal? What's the thing we're supposed to be striving after regarding this? And what are the means towards that goal? If you've got the, uh, the outline, this is where we're heading over the next few minutes. The goal, what it is that we're supposed to do? What is it that we're supposed to be striving for? What is it that we're supposed to be considering and be concerned about? Verse 24, again, this is what the author of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. To stir up one another. That's what we're supposed to be doing towards something. But okay, so what's first the, the first part is the stirring up. What does that mean? It means to incite. It means to provoke. It means to stimulate. It means that the presence, our presence, one with another, is a catalyst. You chemistry majors? It's a catalyst meant to do something, cause something, kick something into action. Why would that be needed? Why would you be, why would you need that? Why would you need the catalyst? Why would you, why would we need, be, why would we need to be told to focus in on stirring up one another. Well, what sorts of things need to be stirred? Things that aren't moving. Things that left to themselves stand still. Things that left to their are, are people, personalize it, people left to their defaults will go on a certain path and the author of Hebrews says there, there's a better way, but there's something that needs to happen, to happen, to move us in that direction. So to swear to stir up one another towards 
what? We're not, it's not just to be agitators. We're not just to be disruptors for the sake of being agitators and disruptors, but towards a thing. Towards what? The author tells us. Towards love and good works. Love, the word, some of you may be familiar with this. this you hear it mentioned a lot in different contexts. Agape, that's the Greek word agape. That's a, a selfless, towards self, we are to stir up one another towards a selfless concern for one another. We are to, to be in one another's lives for the sake of costly affection poured out one for another. The very thing that describes Jesus' love for us, the love that he has considered, the love that he, he provokes, that has provoked him towards us. His agape love is, provokes him to move towards us selflessly with concern and desire and costly affection. It's the very love of Jesus. So we are to stir up one another towards love, this kind of love, and good works. Going beyond just, and I'm not, not saying there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with sentimental feelings. That's fine. But the author is here saying you have to go beyond sentimental feelings into sacrificial actions. We are to stir up one another towards love and good works. That's the goal. That's the goal. To giving ourselves, to consider what does it mean to stir up one another to love and good works. Just strictly speaking, just strictly speaking. Now, you might have caught the triad I was mentioning a few minutes ago as we were moving through the, the breakdown of those three things, faith, hope, and love. I don't know if you caught that. We're pressing in on love, but faith, strictly speaking, faith and hope, you can actually do that on your own. Not really well, but strictly speaking, you can have faith, you can have hope, but friends, it is oxymoronic to do love by yourself. It can't be done. It can't be done. Not even well. It just can't be done. We have to be in one another's lives to love. We have to be close in one another's lives. And so the author is saying here, consider this. Think about this. Ponder this. Plan this. Move towards this. Be intentional about this is the, is the idea, the language, the implication here. So he, here would be a thought experiment to, to run with, a practical way to, 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 to move with this, to ask yourself of the people to your left and right and front and back, the people that you greeted during the, the, the time before the service and, and then the passing of the peace during, and the, the people that you might meet out there in the hallway and whatever, or the people in your community group, we'll talk about that. Think intentionally about this question. This person is not just made in the image of God, but this person may well be my brother and sister, brother or sister in Jesus. What might it look like for me to provoke, to incite love in their lives? How can I encourage, how can I, how can I model and speak into and, and come alongside them in such a way as to encourage them to, to good works, to love and good works, to think about that intentionally and move in that in practical ways. That, that's why we're here is what the author is saying. That's, what, that's why we're here. It's one of the reasons we exist. 
Not to be busybodies in one another's faces. That's not the idea. But still to be brothers, sisters in one another's lives. Taking a lively, can I put it this way? Taking a lively interest in one another for the sake of Jesus. Recognizing, if I can steal some words somewhat out of context from Genesis 4, I am my brother's keeper. Now think about the original context of that for a minute. I don't have this in my notes, so it may be dangerous. Cain. Those are the words of Cain, spoken snarkily to God when God approaches him regarding his murdered brother. Where is he? Cain's question, his pseudo-answer, what am I, my brother's keeper? What's the answer? Yes. You know that word keeper? Actually, the Lord uses it of himself towards us. The Lord will keep you in your comings and goings. He will guard, protect, look after your... My gracious sakes. So am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Impelled by and modeled after the Lord's keeping of us. This new dynamic impels a considering, demands a considering, taking seriously this mutual impact we can and must have upon one another. Okay, that's the goal, what we're to do. How are we to do it? How do we strive after this? Okay, so we pick up where we left off. Well, we'll start in verse 24, but then move into verse 25. He unpacks this for us. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So he says at first, in terms of means, how to go about the stirring up, he says at first negatively and then he says it positively. So we're gonna rule this out, take that off the table and, and now recognizing we're not gonna do that, we're gonna do this. Okay, so what's the negative? What does he rule out? What does he take off the table? Neglecting to meet together. Uh, the implication being that some, even at this point in the early days of the church, some had fallen into this. They, they had begun well. Uh, there was a time in which they had been engaged with the life of the church and meshed in the life of the church. And then something happened they, 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 and, and, and now they've become complacent and take it for granted. The realities and the, and, and the needs, the mutuality of the, of the needs. Now, why does that happen? Well, we know why it happens because it, we've all experienced it. We've all done it. Good things crowd out better things, right? Now, in their case, the pressure was, first century church, likely, reading between the lines in the book of Hebrews, persecution and fear of being found out and, and stuff pertaining to that. Okay, that's probably not what we've got to worry about here, okay? So, what is it, how does it, what's the dynamic for us? Priorities get shifted, Subtly, maybe not all at once, but you know, just kind of a slow creep, mission creep. Priorities get shifted. Certain decisions based on those priorities are made, and the commitments change. Okay? And so then we become complacent to the mutuality and necessity of community, of, of as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, life together. 
And no doubt, at this point, some of you are becoming a little uncomfortable. And that's okay. That's okay. That may be Jesus. Okay? Um, Not neglecting to meet together. That's the first part of this. The negative way of expressing the means as to how we're to stir up one another towards love and good works. Positively, what then does he say? But rather encouraging one another. Encouraging one another, which we can't do if we don't meet together. That's, That's what he's saying. In order to encourage one another, we have to meet together. We have to have time together to speak the promises of God one to another, to tell the great stories of how he has worked in our lives one to another. I needed you to remind me of Jesus. You, we need each other to remind one another of Jesus. What he has done, is doing, and promises to do in our lives. We need the lived out ongoing experience of praying for one another and being prayed over by those around us. We need that. We need, again, Bonhoeffer, life together in all of its rich, rich forms. And why, the author tells us, why is it needed? What does he say we need to have in view? The day. The day. What is that day? It's not Friday. It's the day is the day of Jesus's return. That day. The day that we have in mind, that we have upon our hearts, in which we know he's going to make all things new and all things right. And so, we, we, by the fact that he mentions that, just puts that in here, it, it comforts us, but it also reminds us that the stakes are real here. Doing this with in mind that the day that our Lord, our King, is returning. We need this. We just have to say we need this, and and, and the other way of saying that is we are kidding ourselves to the degree we don't think we need this. I mean, this this is the Word of God speaking to the necessity of the mutuality, reciprocity of community. And we are kidding ourselves, every one of us, any one of us, to the degree that we think I'm an exception. Brother, sister, think of the pride in which you're saying that. Think of the dangerous path you're setting yourself on by saying, yeah, that's true of everybody but me. You're hurting yourself and you're hampering others. It ain't just about you. You're hurting yourself and you're hampering others. So I know it's January Maybe you need a little, breath of, a, little, a little breath of warm air here. So the summer 2000 Olympic Games. Don't remember where that was. 96 was Atlanta. Anyway, summer 2000 Olympic Games. Long before we ever heard of Michael Phelps, the great Michael Phelps, there was a guy by the name of Eric Musambani. Raise your hand if you remember Eric Musambani. That's what I thought. Eric, the swimmer, Musambani, was from Equatorial Guinea, the unlikely hero of the 2000 Olympic Games. 22-year-old man who had only just learned to swim that January. Yeah, that's right. He had only practiced in a 20-meter pool without lane markers. He had never raced more than 50 meters ever. By special invitation of the International Olympic Committee under a special program that permits poor countries to participate even though the athletes don't meet customary standards, 
he'd been entered in the 100-meter men's freestyle. Let's come back to the facts. The man has never swum in a pool longer than 20 meters, never with the markers, and never more than 50 meters, and now he's in the Olympics freestyle 100 meters. How's this going to go? Well, the, first, the, the other two swimmers in his heat were disqualified because of false starts. I guess they were intimidated by Usambani. So he has to swim alone. He was, to use the words of an AP story writer, charmingly inept. He never put his head under the water's surface, flailed wildly to stay afloat. With 10 meters left to the wall, he virtually came to a stop such that spectators thought he was going to drown. <laughs> and even though his time was over a minute, now if you know Olympic swimming races, even though his, his time was over a minute, more what would have qualified him for the, the competition, the capacity crowd at the Olympic Aquatic Center stood and cheered. The longer he swam, the more people stood and they were on their feet yelling for this man to encourage him to keep going. Now, what, after, what seemed like after an eternity, after he did finally, he did reach the wall, he did reach the wall, and he finally caught his breath, and he's hanging on for dear life. He regains his composure, and he says through an interpreter, I want to send hugs and kisses to the crowd. It was their cheering that kept me going. It's the cheering that may keep you going. It's your cheering that may keep me going. We need that. We are all Eric Musambani in the 100-meter freestyle. Every single one of us in this room and this church as a whole. That's us. That's us. I, I, this is the opposite of preaching to the choir. <laughs> so bear with me. I'm glad you're here. You know there's a but coming, right? <laughs> I'm really glad you're here for the service of worship, the 1045 service of worship here on Sunday morning. But you need to understand something. This is necessary but not sufficient. This is necessary but not sufficient. Put, just, it's not enough for flourishing in the Christian life. Skipping in here and skipping out without talking to anybody is not enough. Hanging out here, to, maybe you're the last person to leave the parking lot. Good for you. You were a gold star. It's not enough. What the author of Hebrews is saying here clearly implies is continuity, reciprocity, mutuality, shared life together that has to be done with time, time invested, time spent, time stewarded, because it ain't your time, time with one another. And that can happen 
in a variety of means in even this little church's context. You know, Megan was talking about uh, women's ministry. We've got a few things going on with the men's ministry, but I would say that the chief means is our community groups. The chief means by which uh, that happens is, is through our community groups where we learn, gracious sakes, learn, because we never arrive, learn what it is to be in the Word together. Learn what it is to pray together and be prayed for to, to, together. This new dynamic demands a considering things, new things of, with, regarding one another that demands time. I want to end with this, if I can. Two odd, well, okay, I'll admit that the images are odd. I think they'll make a point. So, some of you have heard me say this, because I know I've said it before, some years back. We as believers, when we gather together, like, like say local church, like here, CPC, Clarksville, here meeting, assembling this morning right now, Rossview Road, we are like, we are like porcupines in a thunderstorm. I think about what that's going to be like every time that thunderclaps. Needing, but needling one another. Porcupines huddled up, <clears throat> ow, ow, and then, oh, I, I, like, going forward, backing up, going forward, backing up. That's, that's like the local church. Porcupines huddled in a thunderstorm. Vision team, can somebody get us a porcupine? Can we get a mascot with that? <laughs> it's probably not legal. Anyway, different image. Coals. A story is oftentimes told, and it goes in different ways depending on who's the storyteller, of, of, of a pastor who comes on one wintry, cold, wintry afternoon to the home of an oft-absent member of the church and preaches a silent but fiery sermon. This is what happens. The man comes in. He's invited to sit down. He does. He observes the coals there in the fireplace. Without saying a word, he gets, he gets up. He grabs the tongs, picks up one of the coals, and puts it down on the hearth and just lets it sit there. What happens? You know what happens. Over the next few minutes, it starts to glow less, loses heat, it's out. Silent, fiery sermon. You get the idea, right? I mean, the, the immediate idea, the, the, the most immediate, pressing, obvious implication of it is, is that uh, we need the warmth of others that we would stay warm as coals, if you will, Right? That's the silent but fiery sermon. Here's the corollary to that. The rest of the coals need that coal too. The temperature of that mass of coals drops when you take that one coal out. So think about that when you're tempted to pull back. The degree to which, I'm mixing my words here, pardon the pun, the degree to which the, this body's warmth is drawn down when you pull back. It's the mutuality. It's twofold. It goes both ways. The reciprocity of the need that we have for one another. The, the, the need is real. The struggle is real. And I don't use those words. I don't use the porcupine, the coal, or whatever other image I could use to shame anybody in here, to guilt anybody in here. I simply have to say, these are the implications of what the Word is saying to us. 
These are the needs that we have as brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus. This is the, i got to put it this way, this is the invitation that he is holding forth to us that we might grow and flourish and know him better. That's why it's in our vision statement. That's why the vision statement leads off, in fact, with this. So critical is, is this, that anything else that comes after that would even happen. New dynamic, this new dynamic that we have, Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 20. The access to God, now. The great priests that we have, now. So yes, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. But let us also consider these things regarding one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for CPC Clarksville. It's not a really long history in the greater scheme of things, but there's been a few things that have happened. And we thank you. Thank you for every chapter, every section, every paragraph, every verse. Again, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for where you've brought us at this time. Again, for the work of our vision team. Thank you. Now, would you please, you having set this before us, would you please capture our hearts and our imaginations by this vision? Would you move us into action as individuals but as a body together? Again, for your glory and the joy of all peoples. We pray this in your name. Amen.